Welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. This is Jason Toby. How's your week been? Yeah, good? Good? Good, well, uh, yeah, thanks for asking. Mine's, uh, mine's been full. Challenging would be a good word. Really, in every way, I'd say, if I'm being honest with you. Physically, relationally, vocationally, financially, automobilely. Of course, invitations for anxiety and discouragement, anger and fear. And I know wisdom would suggest bringing our cares and concerns to God because he so cares for us. There's this podcast I've heard of that's even suggested the same thing. And uh, maybe like you, I tried to solve my emotional distress with crappy Chinese food last night. And you probably already know what I haven't come to grips with yet, and that is a crappy Chinese food didn't work. I felt worse. Right, so maybe you'd suggest donuts. Donuts always help. Guess what? They didn't. And so I've been wondering, how does real faith engage real-life challenges? Isn't it true that the Christian life is more than a life of intellectual agreements to historical facts? Yes. When real faith in Jesus encounters the circumstances of real life, it dictates how we live, how how we determine the direction of our lives. It determines the steps we take. Faith determines the choices we make. So what does real faith look like in real life? The book of Hebrews points Christians to continually live by faith in Jesus and then, of course, preserve or persevere, I should say, in the face of persecution. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25, we see three exhortations, faith, hope, and love. Chapter 11 elaborates on faith, 12 on hope, and chapter 13 on love. In chapter 10, verses 38 through 39, speaks of an enduring in faith because of God's promises. In chapter 11, we see people who have done just that. How does your faith inform your engagement with life's troubles and challenges? Does it fade? Is it, are you a, one that fights and presses into something, or do you run away, flight? Does your faith endure for the sake of future promise? Promises can be motivating. Not everyone's motivated by them, but but most people are. Uh, most people can be motivated to some extent by reward. I can remember several years ago, my son Titus um, loved Gatorade. Any kind, all kind, mountain, blueberry, mist, whatever you want to call it. Any kind. And uh, we used to encourage him to do well at school, to listen and obey his teachers, and to treat other students <laughs> Kindly, We used to motivate him, and he'd get reports back from the teacher at the end of each day. And so we would reward him or motivate him with the promise of his own huge Gatorade. And eventually, uh, he had a series of days that went very well, and we gave him his own Gatorade. It moved him. It challenged him. And he had a prize in mind, and that's what he wanted. Hebrews 11 invites us to consider... Those who endured for the prize, those who endured for the promise, who demonstrated real faith in real life. And then the chapter encourages us to imitate their faith. 
Maybe it's a passage you're familiar with. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Hmm. What we read here is a description of what faith does, what it looks like in real life. We know that faith is paramount, of course, in a relationship with Jesus. Yet in our days, faith itself is under attack. I'm one of the more famous atheists in our world these days remarked on faith. This is Richard Dawkins saying, faith is the great cop out. Why would he say that? If you've read anything, uh, what he believes, he believes faith is a willful, blind optimism, anti-knowledge and nonsensical, or it is without reason. But is that true? Is that what faith in Jesus is, blind, without knowledge, without reason? Of course not. Seeing the truth, growing in knowledge and reason is part of knowing God through Jesus Christ. Another way of saying it is faith enables us to understand what God has promised and enables us to see what others cannot see. A relationship with Jesus is by faith, which contains both knowledge and confidence. Or another way of thinking about it is fact flows to faith, flows to feeling. I've read that one of the most dangerous things somebody can do in our days is base jumping. Jumping from the side of a cliff or off a bridge, a building, and in time after the jump, pulling for your parachute and then landing safely to the ground. And thrill seekers have been doing this for a while now, and it's supposedly one of the most dangerous things that you could ever do. Um, I'll never know because I have no plans on doing that. But what if you knew the facts of base jumping? You knew what you needed. You knew what gear you needed. You knew how high you needed to be and at what point you're supposed to pull for the shoot. And, of course, what if you had the faith to do it, that things are going to go okay with what you know, and you're looking for the feeling, the exhilaration of that experience. But if you have a bad shoot, faith won't matter. You could know what you need. You could trust that you know what you need, and you could look for the feeling of the opportunity, but if you have a bad shoot, faith's not going to matter. There needs to be truth upon which faith is built. For Christians, that truth is found in the scriptures and the recorded works of God expressed perfectly in the life of Jesus. And what builds up from such a faith is confidence or joy, a deep-rooted contentment. So the author of Hebrews talks about what faith looks like in real life. Let me read verse 1 again in chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is being sure or having confidence. This confidence comes from knowledge. So what is the knowledge that informs real faith? The revelation of God. In Romans chapter 1 verse 20 we can read, For his, that is God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Some people call this in our spirit, our intuition, the capability of looking outside as I am right now, seeing what has been created and recognizing there has to be a cause for that. There has to be a creator. 
But it is a fair question to ask. How can you be certain of something you can't see? How can you see invisible qualities? That seems unreasonable. And I would suggest that faith and doubt are opposites, not faith and reason. When the author says faith is being certain of what we do not see, what we grasp is that there is an aspect of the unknown. God gives us evidence, but he doesn't tell us everything about everything. So an aspect of faith is trust, isn't it? It's a daily moment-to-moment question for us. Do I trust God? Will I trust God right now with this trouble or with this circumstance? Or with what I don't know? A few verses later in chapter 11, I think it's uh, verse 6, yeah. We can read that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I would say the inverse then is true as well. Faith is what pleases him. He's constantly inviting us to trust him with anything, with everything. (laughs) Faith is being confident of what we hope for and convinced of what we do not see. This conviction is, is in God. That what he has promised, he will perform. So another way of saying this is, faith is, number one, being sure of God's promises. That they are worth our hope. Maybe a scripture you hid in your heart years ago is John chapter 3, verse 16. That God, in his great love, or so loved the world that he gave his only son, that is Jesus, so that whoever would believe in him, place their trust in him, believe into him, is the real phrasing there, wouldn't experience eternal separation from the presence of God, but would experience eternal life. So a part of faith is being sure of God's promises that they are worth our hope. And number two is being sure that the invisible God exists, that he is worth our trust. See, a common lie about faith is that it's blind optimism. But what we see in Scripture is that real faith is taking what we do do know about our Lord and His Word and then moving in obedience even if we don't know the specific outcome. We don't know the outcome, but we know who we're trusting. What about now when when someone says um, that they lost faith? Well, that would typically mean that they're Losing, there's a loss of confidence. Isn't that right? Why would someone lose confidence? I would wonder, I would suggest it's probably because a desired outcome or evidence isn't currently seen, even if the original evidence that led to faith remains. For some of us, uh, our faith falters when God doesn't perform in ways we expect he should or would. A vibrant act of faith, then, is, is to be present, a present and continued reality. Not just a past one-time decision that you made, but a vibrant act of faith moves us to trust in God even when the circumstances seem impossible or when the consequences are unknown or we can't see the future. Faith believes that God does what is right and best. Consider the first illustration of faith in the next verse. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, we understand that God created the universe out of something that cannot be seen, ex nihilo. One either believes or disbelieves the opening lines of the Bible about creation. 
We can't relive the account today, of course. We can't go back there. It's by faith. We take it by faith. So the author is right. The past cannot be seen, so it requires faith or trust. Isn't it true that it requires faith to take God at his word concerning both the past and the future? See, what's interesting is that many folks can trust God with eternity future or the promise of going to heaven or being in God's perfect kingdom one day. Some can even trust God with both the future and the past. Some people struggle with the past, but many people have come to the freedom and the peace that comes from trusting God, not only the future, but also our past, that Jesus exchanged his life for ours, removing the guilt and shame and harm and sin of our past. It's done. It's over. So if we can have faith in him for our future and our past, why is it so challenging to trust him with the present? And I'm asking myself today, why is it so hard to trust him with current troubles or challenges or unfairnesses, financial concerns, over vocational concerns, relational? If we can trust that God created, if we can trust that Jesus rose from the dead, if we can trust the promise of being with him for all time. Can't we trust him with whatever's happening at four o'clock today? We are invited to live by faith in the present. Taking God at his word, trusting in his character, concerning his promised presence in the present. Faith for salvation that isn't simply about heaven one, one day, but a present tense assurance, provision, security, commitment, the promise of his love and forgiveness and peace for right now, for this moment now, hope. And God, I believe, is inviting you to trust him today. He's inviting you to faith today, real faith in your real life today. And I invite you to talk to him about it.